0: Hulu has life sports. 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 Welcome to episode 104 of Wolvescast, the show that is still recording an episode of the podcast, even though there's no new games to talk about. It's hosted by myself and my brother. I'm Neil. Scott. And today in studio, a special guest, everybody. Please welcome Britt Robson. Yes, yes, he's here, he's in the room. We're all hanging out together, having beverages, doing our thing. It's a special, a very special edition of Wolf's Cast. Uh, today we're just going to chat with Britt. We get Britt in the house, so we're going to dedicate
1: the whole show to just talking. It's right? episode 104 of Wolf's Cast, the show that will probably teach you a new word
2: this <laughs> week. That's right. That's
1: a reoccurring bit we have. Is every time I read one of your articles, I learn a new word. A new word, a new a new uh, new lexicon, mm-hmm. new vocab. Yeah.
0: Uh, so, I mean, wh- where does that come from, bro? Let's let's just start right there. First of all, thanks for coming in the podcast. Sure, my pleasure. Welcome uh, to the Wolvescast Studio. Well, you're writing. You're, you're writing. Obviously, you've been writing for a long time. Do you are you actively out there searching for for words that people may have not seen, or do you just have I a read, very robust? I you read, read a lot. There now, it is. See,
2: I mean, that's really. Uh, the only way to acquire vocabulary in my opinion is just to read like crazy and then you know you come upon words and I actually don't like to look up words unless I'm really stumped so I have an occasion on occasion somebody will correct my usage of a word because I'll have read it a couple of times in a certain context and think I know the definition so that, that's one of the dangers every now and then I, I will look up a word if it if especially if somebody's called me on it and said no that's not what it means um but again just i was uh inculcated to uh <laughs> learn how to read at a very early age my mother taught me how to read uh um i was the middle of uh, kids 3 years apart i think probably when my older sister was 6 and i was 3 and Cindy was a baby my mother started reading to us and uh i just i was one of the first kids in kindergarten who knew how to read and got a lot of attention as a result of that. Everybody thought, oh, you know. (laughs) And so, you know, when you're five years old in kindergarten, man, that's, you know, you know how to get attention. One of the ways is to be, you know, quote unquote smart. So, you know, you get past the teacher's pet business, but you don't lose the reading. And Mm. so... uh, I
1: had a feeling that it was like if you were to read my writing, it would sound a lot smarter than I talk because I do try to, you know, put a little bit more effort into it. Mm-hmm. But I remember from just listening to when you had a podcast that you would you would speak often like, like you would write. And so that's why I'm not surprised that, you know, it is just a result of reading and not not like a, a purported effort to try and get a new word in there every week or anything on the oh, call. Yeah,
2: well, I mean, part of that is that's almost by definition pretentious. And so uh, what I really try not to be – I mean, if I have – a fault it's, it's being so unpretentious that sometimes uh, I blunt some things that uh, should be a little more nuanced but um, you know it's uh, that and I guess I had a really good 5th uh, grade English teacher who I had a big crush on <laughs> and uh, and then I had a, a couple of really good English lit profs in college and uh, so I just kept adding to a store of reading and I, occasionally I'll get asked to go talk to classrooms and stuff about, you know, basically people are saying, how do we do what you do? Right. And uh, I always suggest if you want to be a writer, you learn how to read. And you you want to read a lot. If you don't want to read, you're probably not going to be a good writer. Right.
0: Now, how do you square the, the modern way of reading, which is audible.com, right? Listening to audiobooks <laughs> or listening to podcasts, that kind of thing. Like, do, do those, maybe not for you, but do you believe that, like, kind of those things can also...
2: I believe in exposure to language. Yeah. I mean, some people. My son is an audio, audio learner, yeah. so um, he doesn't read, um, but he. My wife and I both have a, a you know, rel- on the relatively large vocabulary, and he does too. As a result, um, and so you know, I, I think a lot of it is just what you hear, uh, the environment you're in, and uh, you know. But again, the great thing about language is, it's got rhythm. You know, uh, you can use three one syllable words and they can be cooler than one three syllable word if the rhythm is right. I mean, I write as much for rhythm um, as I do for vocabulary. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you, you want to, I'm a huge fan of alliteration and I'm a huge fan, a, fan of, uh, you know, long sentences that have their own internal rhythm within the sentence so each clause has a rhythm and hopefully sometimes just by feel the you know those rhythms are consonant with each other so well that's the corollary i can't say that right now yeah that's right Corollary.
1: Corollary. corollary i know what the word is i'm having trouble pronouncing it but that's okay oh the corollary to my rule which is the, one A, which is you learn a new word. One B is that there's at least one sentence in every one of your articles that I read, reread just because it sounds good. <laughs> I think I think your most recent one about Lou Aldane, uh, there was a sentence about uh, Joshua Kogi playing like a banshee on defense. That, oh yeah, that was a really fun sentence. I had to go back and just let it roll out. So yeah, there is kind of a rhythm to language, banshee, don't you? Yeah, I mean, Banshee's what a great, great, great sound word. word yeah. You know? yeah, great word.
2: I try to get that in if possible. Uh, you know, that's one thing. You know, especially if. Uh, Banshee strikes me as a really complimentary way to say high energy about somebody. Yeah. Somebody's a Banshee. I mean, I would never call somebody I dislike the Banshee. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> totally. Well, um, if you don't know, um, Britt uh, writes for TheAthletic.com. Um, over there is a reporter at athletic.com. Obviously, if you're listening to this, you're pr- probably already subscribed. But if not, get over there and subscribe. Him and John Krasinski great you know the best wolves coverage you can get um is right there and um but brit uh, has been writing for a long time obviously about the wolves and about other things so we'll get into wolf stuff here in a little bit but i kind of wanted to talk about your music writing because um you know you still write about jazz um and and hip-hop and and different things reviewing albums and live shows and i think that's that's a there's a good segue here because of like the rhythm of people speaking to right. me that 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 reminds me of hip-hop and and even the rhythm of notes and stuff like that is so big in jazz um you know how did how did jazz and writing about music and stuff kind of enter into all this which came first you know what how do you kind of you know write about music and basketball at the same time and, and do it all together what, how, how did music become a part of of stuff you wrote, wrote about as well
2: well i'll turn 66 years old in june And so what that means is that uh, when I was 10 years old, the Beatles hit Ed Sullivan. Wow. And so I saw that. And, uh, I mean, I had already, because of my older sister, and just I had always loved music. I mean, I already had at age 10, I think, a couple of Four Seasons records and a a Frankie Rydell record or something, Forget Him, I think was the name of the song. Mm. But um, when the Beatles hit, man, I mean, I just... From the Beatles, you went to the Searchers and the Dave Clark Five and the Stones and all these English Invasion bands. And then, you know, by the time I was like 13, 14, it was the acid rock of uh, Mm. San Francisco, Jefferson Airplane, Quicksilver Messenger Service, Grateful Dead, Um, and just on and on. I mean, Jimi Hendrix released his first record when I was 17 years old. I mean, you just can't match it up better than that, you know. And so... Having that, you know, it was just a blessed time to be alive. You know, to be in your mid-teens in the late 60s was really nice. Um, And so I just, it became a part of who I was. I mean, when I was a junior in high school, I mean, there were the heads and the jocks. And I played football, (laughs) believe it or not, very badly, but I was a 150-pound quarterback and um, for a very small school, so I got to play. Was it
1: eight-man football? <laughs> no, but,
2: you know, it probably would have been. Should have been. You, you know, this is in Massachusetts, and so uh, we would play teams. We'd have to travel about 20 miles to play teams, and most of them were on the Cape. We, I, I lived about halfway between Boston and Providence, Rhode Island. and um, But anyway, uh, I didn't want to choose between the heads and the jocks uh, because music connected me with the heads, and I didn't start getting high until my junior year, but you know, even like sophomore, I was connected to the heads because of a shared taste in music, and I always loved sports, and so I guess that was part of it. Is music and sports have never felt different to me, especially basketball. I mean, football is not a rhythmic game. Football is a blunt object. Yep. Um, it just so happened that I, it was the thing I played best. I. I I played basketball in high school, but not well. And then I got a failure notice uh, when I was a sophomore and my parents made me quit the team. So, you know, all these sordid stories. But um, anyway, uh, I think that music and sports, I grew up, the way I learned how to read aside from my mother was reading the sports page, you know, finding out what the Red Sox were doing, what the standings, you know what was going on with, with Boston, and then they got the Patriots when I was 8 and 61, and, uh, you know, just went on from there. So, Same year the Twins came over, 61. Wow. And, you know, <laughs> b- between I, I sh- another thing I should mention is uh, because I was born in 53 and because I think Russell started with the Celts in 58, there was like three years in my formative years when the Celtics didn't win the championship. Wow, <laughs> I mean, they won like right. twelve times. It's weird when they years. didn't win. Exactly. Yeah, it yeah. was it was an aberration, and everybody was crushed. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, I couldn't believe it. Well, it's like I remember it, now. <laughs> I remember
1: us being kids during the Jordan, Jordan dynasty, days, yeah. and it was it was really weird when the Bulls didn't win because right. it was just like that. You just grow up learning. Oh yeah, the Bulls win it every year. You exactly. know that kind of thing.
2: And my appreciation for defense. Uh, in basketball came because the Celtics were really the only the reason they won all the time is they were the only NBA team that was really ahead of the curve in figuring out that you need to play that end of the court. You know, they had Russell, they had Satch Sanders, uh, you know, they had the Jones boys, K C and Sam Jones. Jones boys sounds incredibly racist now, but that's what everybody <laughs> called them. Uh, and uh, you know, they had Cousy and Charman and Frank Ramsey and, you know, the whole nine yards. And I remember going to the garden you know, when I was a kid and uh, looking out over the arena, and it was almost like you were at a concert, and it was an encore, and people were putting their lighters up, but it was just everybody lighting up their cigarettes. And there was a pall <laughs> oh, well, of smoke oh, yeah. over the entire basketball
1: court. Uh, this, you know, they would smoke a pack at halftime, you know? It was like... Right. Back in the day. You yeah. see
0: some of those old photos, yeah, and you can just see that that sort of cloud around the scoreboard yeah. kind of thing. That kind it of it look. makes for some
1: epic photographs, especially because they're all usually in black and white from that right. era.
0: Yeah. It's just like,
1: wow, look how atmospheric this photo is. <laughs> and it's just like, nope, that's cigarette smoking, hanging around right. the rafters, exactly. everyone.
0: So writing about music, writing about basketball, kind of, we're just, and in sports, we're just like, you just kind of picked your favorite things, the things you knew the most about. It's just as simple as writing what you know. Is, is that fair yeah, to say? I think Maybe part it part goes
1: back to what you're saying about reading before you can write, is you probably you said you grew up reading the sports page. You probably read a lot about music and is read that, a lot and about also, sports.
2: I mean, one of the things, money has never been very important to me, but my quality of life has been. So I needed to figure out a way to leverage my quality of life into what I do. Um, and so writing about music and sports is a barter system in a sense. I mean, I have a $125 ticket to every Wolves game I have for the last 30 years yeah you know so there's that i mean that's a real great perk of my writing it's quite frankly why i started to write yeah, about in the submarine
1: is that'd be like a 500 hundred mm-hmm. dollar seat you know <laughs> exactly. uh, really, exactly. it's a great seat especially because mm-hmm. the wolves haven't done that trend of moving the you know the right, press uh, way back exactly
2: so. so there's that and then you know i get to see most any show i want in town in terms of music so that was my thing.
1: In college, I started writing about music because I wanted to go to the concerts for free. There you
2: go. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as it is now, I, I do uh, four or five blurbs a week, preview concert things for City Pages. I used to do it for the Strib, um, and I get like 30 bucks, so seven fifty a blurb, but it just keeps my name on all the lists, mm-hmm. you know. and so it's a barter system.
0: So, city pages. Where do people find your other your non basketball writing? City pages. Are you still doing Min Post? City pages.
2: Or? I'm I'm not doing Min Post anymore. Every now and then I'll do something there, but not very often. Most of the music stuff I either do for the Strib, uh, Red Bull Music Academy, uh, Jazz Times. I'm, I usually do a couple of reviews at least every month in Jazz Times, which is really daunting because I know nothing about like uh, you know go from B-flat to C or, you know, the the language of music. Theory, music theory. I write impressionistically about jazz. And I would say 80% of the Jazz Times readers are either musicians or people who grew up with a music education background. And so I really have no idea. I know that I can't make a mistake. I do know that, that, you know, (laughs) that people are going to... Right. They regard me as a charlatan anyway. So uh, the idea that I'm actually doing this... Writing in jazz times to begin with is always kind of a a weird... I I take a weird pride in it because I don't really belong in that magazine.
1: So jazz readers more critical than basketball fans who are reading your stuff? Well, yeah, I
2: think so. I mean, you know, the thing about (laughs) basketball fans... uh, Well, for one thing, um, basketball doesn't have the strictures of a jazz listener. A jazz listener will be... uh, Especially if you rip a record. You know, I mean... Whenever I've read I've reviewed music and somebody's called me up and said, you know, I can't believe you, you know, you ripped my record. And I said, you know, as if I have a choice in the matter. I mean, I put something on, I listen to it and I react. Yeah. I mean, how do I how else do you do that? You know? I mean if I don't like what I hear and that's the album I've been assigned, yeah, I guess there's really not much I could do about it. The alternative is
1: damning me. it with faint and praise, being like wow. it's not the worst record.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> I can but say that gets credit. I mean the the other thing that's important though is to I mean you need some integrity in terms of you know, somebody buys a record on your positive review and they don't like it, I mean I know from reading film reviews that I remember bylines. I mean I know when my taste doesn't agree with somebody. And if you lose credibility, whether you're writing about music, sports, whatever, you're screwed. You know, politics too.
1: That goes for all you Speed Racer movie reviewers out there. You're <laughs> there you the go. reason I didn't get to see it in theaters. I still hold a grudge. That's right. You you be, be careful with that stuff. And then,
0: okay, so then what about hip-hop, local hip-hop? I mean, I I was at a, a show uh, a few weeks ago, and then I saw a tweet from you saying you were heading over to the show right after the game. Uh, First Avenue uh, local artist uh, POS was doing a 10-year ten, ten anniversary for his record, Never Better. I mean, um, sorry to stereotype, but come on. You, you're, the, you're the 66-year-old white guy yeah. heading over for the POS show. I mean, I know it's... To, to I'll white, have you know, uh, I used to write
2: hip hop for the Washington Post. Chocolate oh, City. Oh, There we go.
0: So, <laughs> so then, how does is it just a jazz to hip hop like kind of thing? How did you get into hip hop and then especially well, local I'll, I'll Minnesota? Be totally hip-hop. honest
2: with you. Yeah. Um, the way you find out that you don't like music, a certain type of music, is you say it all sounds the same. When somebody uh, says it all sounds the same, what that means the ex- exact translation is I don't like that kind of music and i would say about 80% of current hip hop sounds the same to me so it i have gotten too old for modern hip hop um that pause record is 10 years old uh and he's more of a throwback you know yep. rapper anyway um so my hip hop prime was probably you know late 80s early 90s you know public enemy uh, you know, Cool Mo D, LL Cool J, uh, down to you know, Mob Deep, and uh, and then you know there was that resurgence. I mean, the the uh, Tupac Biggie thing was terrible for all kinds of cultural reasons, but uh, musically it really produced some fabulous East Coast West Coast you know rivalry stuff. I I love the music that came out of New York most of the time. I like battle rap. Um, You know, I like guys like Cameron and, uh, you know, weird battle rappers. I like, uh, you know, Keith Murray and all these. And, you know, DJ Premier and Pete Rock and C.L. Smooth. Um, And that's kind of my era. Uh, And that's when I wrote about it the most. Um, And nowadays, you know, I mean, every now and then, you know, something will, you know, I'll hear something new in hip-hop, but... uh, For the most part, I'm just too old, you know, and part of it, I'm sure some of it is cultural. Uh, You know, I didn't like gangster rap when it came out. Uh, I understood the political context of it, but um, it didn't have the visceral affirmation for me because I don't get, you know, the crap kicked out of me by the cops. Uh, And I don't have that, uh, you know, obstacle to go against. And to try to assume that I do or even try to put myself in that Position uh, is inauthentic of me and and leaves me open to appropriate ridicule. You know, I mean, you gotta, there's some ways you need to stay in your lane. I don't always believe in staying in your lane, but when it comes to um, empathizing with oppressed people, um, if the empathy isn't real, just accept your privilege with gratitude and do the best you can on the margins mm. in my opinion
1: it's okay to leave your lane but you gotta know which lanes you're not allowed in you know it's like the express lane like you, you can choose any of these lanes on the right but the express lane just stay out of that lane yeah wow well, that's great. Well,
0: yeah. Well, I just thought. I mean, even even though I say it's it's beyond you at this point, I still think you're doing pretty good. I mean, you're you're even the fact that you're dabbling in it and even this, putting your toe into that water is you know it's way more you know involved in other people you know. So that's well, I that's mean, cool. hip
2: hop is a part of me. When it was you know late '80s, I was uh, mid '30s, and so and the other thing about hip hop, like so much music, the rhythm and the feel, the vibe of it is based on the blues. You know, and, and I grew up, uh, another great thing about late 60s, early 70s, it was a tremendous blues revival. And a, a lot of these original blues guys who'd come from the Delta up to Chicago were being rediscovered. And uh, I developed a really sound appreciation for blues. And you hear a lot of those blues rhythms in the best hip hop.
1: Yeah. Do you have any musical talent yourself? No. You see, this is this is where I'm kind of because I'm into jazz, I like hip hop a lot. I'm I find the connecting tissue of the music that I like is usually the rhythm section, uh-huh. um, because I'm tone deaf. I I mean you've heard, you're a drummer. You've heard me sing on the podcast yeah. before. Yeah. And, yeah. I uh, am the worst singer I know. <laughs> oh, well, I mean I am dead serious. Yeah, I could put I could we could yeah. do a race. I could give you a run next for your time, money. Guys. But uh, next, time. next time. So I'm a drummer because I'm tone deaf, yeah. and uh, so the music that I really love has always been the stuff that's really interesting rhythmically, uh-huh. and that's why it's easy for me to do you know genres you know that are diverse so kind of like jazz to hip hop like maybe they don't have a ton in common. actually those two genres have a lot of connecting tissue but you know what I'm saying the thing that always gets me is if there's a if there's an interesting rhythm section going on yeah. then like I'm into this music
0: yeah yeah totally that's that's why yeah we, we're a family of drummers it's
1: true. We like our jazz, well, and our sister stuff. can sing at least. But yeah, she's also a drummer. Yeah, but the rest is. of us, we're just we all play drums. <laughs> well, I mean, you have to do a little singing for cuckoo every once in a while. Yeah, I hit some
0: notes every now and then. I can I can be counted on to hit a note or two. You ever yeah. had to be auto tuned Neil? Nah. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Lots of pitch correction. Definitely fix it in the studio. I would break
2: auto
1: tune. <laughs> Breaking auto-tune. It's error crashes the computer. Uh, they would.
0: Yeah, yeah. It'd be smoke coming out of it, right? right it'd be fizzing. Um. Or let's talk more about then like basketball writing and stuff. Sure. What What, what do you like these days, and what are, What's some things that you're kind of what, you know I don't know. Scott and I were talking about this earlier about stuff to talk to you about. Scott, maybe you have some ideas about this topic of. Uh, to me, Britt, you're so uh, you're such a different kind of writer, and that's what uh, we both love about your writing, other than it just being high quality. It's kind of just a different kind of take. But do you have anything like? Do you see anybody else kind of doing something that you thinks really interesting, or what? What do you think is lacking or any kind of way you want to attack this about to me and to us we kind of see you as like a different kind of basketball writer what do you think that is and where do you think like things can get better i guess for basketball journalism
2: well i mean i'm a huge zach lowe fan mm. i mean like everybody else Same here i really do think that um i mean he's better than anybody i know out there uh he's he's got salary cap and all that stuff mastered, which is not easy, in my opinion. Not only does he have it mastered, but he factors it into his analysis, his ongoing analysis, which is very important. I usually think more like a coach than a general manager. And he thinks like both
1: um he does a good job of taking the x's and o's and putting it in his story in a way that it doesn't feel like you're just reading something that's a breakdown of how pick and rolls work but he does explain how the pick and rolls this team is using are working in this way i think he does a good job of just putting in the story where it feels like it flows
2: right i mean i do uh, i i should probably do this more often i don't do it just because it to be honest with you, it kind of feels like I'd be a copycat now if I did it. Of you know, inserting the clips that you can get off NBA.com. Your clips in your dang piece. The, the, you know, your dang yeah, piece. Yeah, that's had your, a that's uh, that's the uh, that's my great editor. Zach, yeah, uh, yeah. Zach.
0: Um, but still, I, I, even if you didn't put them in personally, I feel like it still worked. No, it's no, still it's great. Added to the piece and it in a good is. Way. And, yeah. and every
2: now and then, I'll throw a link in. Especially that I did include the link in my story of uh, uh, when Deng stood up. Uh, Randall, which I thought was yep. really significant because Randall outweighs bigger, him now yeah. by like 30 pounds. So, um, yeah, I mean, so, but there are guys who really do the clip talk, clip talk, clip talk really well. Um, I mean, the, the guys I grew up with, you know, I read Ralph Wiley, uh, you know, when he was still alive about sports and other things, and, uh, you know, the, the, there's a lot of great writers out there about all kinds of topics. But uh, when it comes to sports, I actually gravitate toward, you know, magazine guys and website guys who are, you know, who do like a Zach Lowe type thing. Um, I think actually, you know, some of the athletic guys are really I've always liked, even, you know, he's really young, but he's really strong, I think as Ethan Sherwood-Strauss is a guy I've always liked. Um I didn't like. KD was calling them out a yeah, couple saying, weeks ago. Yeah, uh, oh, something, yeah that's right, something you right. don't
1: have in common with uh, Kevin Durant. Yeah.
2: yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of those things where, um, again, that's a that's going to be that's a healthy tension. Yeah, I mean, writers and and athletes should distrust each other. Sure. I mean, if 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 athletes don't distrust the writer, that means that the writer doesn't distrust the athlete enough,
1: in my opinion. <laughs> you're just doing PR if you're not making well, the I athlete mean, it's a little not, upset. It's,
2: a PR is a little bit too strong, but you do get sucked in. I mean, you get sucked yeah. into this idea that, uh, you know, Cat's in the locker room and Cat and really likes to be liked. You know, so Cat will flatter writers. He flatters me all the time. And it's cool to be flattered by a guy as talented as Carl Anthony Towns, believe me, Um But I always walk away from all of that stuff reminding myself that it has nothing at all to do with the game I'm watching on the Mm. court. I mean, it's cool. I mean, I have an incredible amount of respect, admiration, whatever you want to call it, for Taj Gibson because he's just – he's the most stand-up guy in a locker room presence that I've ever covered. I've covered basketball for decades. And the dude just – he can – Wolves Media Day last year. Everybody, you know, Jimmy Butler. Oh, you know, I never saw it coming. And no, it's not. You know, won't affect us. You know, ta da ta da. All this, other, you know, person after person went by, and uh, Taj just said, "Yeah, I, you know, that's going to be it's going to be an obstacle. It's going to be hard to get around." And yeah, I still talked to Jimmy, and I, I guess I understand why he did it. I mean, he and and then you know his guy Tibbs gets fired, and Ryan comes on board, and he's saying really nice things about Ryan that. Aren't pro forma. I mean, they're sincere and they're true, um, and yet, you know, uh, a week before Tibbs was fired, uh, somebody yelled "fire Tibbs" from like eight rows behind him, behind the Wolves bench, and he wheeled around and shot the guy a really dirty look. I mean, he's a loyal dude, um, but you know, Butler doesn't want to be the Wolves. Fine, you know, that's it for Butler in his own way. But you know, not no hard feelings, but you're not my guy anymore. I mean, he started talking about how good Cat and Wiggins were on media day when Butler was gone. Uh, that's the kind of guy you want in your locker room. And so, you know, in that sense, I'll go PR for Taj Gibson because he doesn't care what I think, mm. you know. I mean, the people who are working me, are the ones I worry about. (laughs) Healthy skepticism to have. It'd
1: be good. Maybe you you could take this if you want it for an athletic piece, a power ranking of the stand-up guys in the locker room. It seems like every year you have a different kind of stand-up guy. Like last year, a lot of people were praising Jamal Jamal Crawford for being the locker room presence.
2: And he had to be because he was so terrible on the court.
1: Right, yeah, definitely. But (laughs) it just feels like there's always a person. In
2: retrospect, there was a lot of one-on-one talk between Jamal and Butler throughout that season, and they were sharing uh, box scores, you know, the printouts that they get all the time. And um, in retrospect, I wish I would thought of this at the time um, rather than just seeing, ah, oh, it's cool, Butler and Jamal are really tight, and they share a locker area. But to, to some extent, they, I think, shared a freeze-out of the kids. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, they were two veterans who, who kind of felt like uh, – well, Jamal obviously wasn't happy because he didn't come back. Yeah, wasn't getting and the minutes. Jimmy Both of them, yeah, we're like and Jimmy, I'm out. Yeah. And Jimmy, yeah, I mean, so, so there you go. You know, I mean, so that's a place where, now that you mention it, I fell down. I praised Taj because, I mean, uh, Jamal, uh, Jamal, Jamal because he was he was great with us, and you know, uh, not that he was trying to sell me a bill of goods, but I should have looked a little deeper into you know what Jamal was up to there.
0: And some of that stuff is really interesting. I, I love the sort of locker room dynamics, and I actually cover the links for Kainasupa, so I'm in the locker Great. room after the game for that. So I sort of understand kind of some of the stuff sure. you're talking about. But, and I guess now I'm thinking about it, Sylvia Fowles does compliment my shoes a lot, and I need to. <laughs> To see through, you that, have
1: been too nice uh, to Sylvia and all your writing. writing. She, she, I need to, she
0: won you over. I need to distrust <laughs> Sylvia a little bit. Um, but I guess I'm wondering this year with the locker room, You have did, to do a control test. Wear some terrible <laughs> shoes and see what yeah, she see says. If she still <laughs> wear the dirtiest shoes I have. Yeah. See if she compliments see what, me. See what she says. Write yeah. something on those shoes. I know. <laughs> um, so I'm wondering about this year's locker room. What's what's maybe different? Are there are there other mini clicks like that, or, or, or a couple people who stand out? Or you know, I guess it's kind of been. A, has there been a difference since Jimmy left? What are the What are the sort of locker room dynamics that are notable to you this year?
2: I think what I like about the locker room most is uh, how the Towns' relationships have changed. Hmm. Um, Towns has gone way out of his way to be a mentor to Josh Okogie and to be somebody who just – Regardless of what Okogie does, praises him up one side and down the other. Well, you might I have, think stupidly. You not may have seen honest.
1: him that, at the Rising Stars game wearing Josh Okogie's jersey. So I did not. He's, <laughs> he was, it he's, up. he's, he's he wearing Okogie's jersey yeah. on the sidelines during the Rising Stars yeah. games cheering yeah. for yeah. Okogie.
2: I mean, he really, really wants to be a guy who is in Josh Okogie's corner. You
0: said stupidly. You think it's a stupid thing? Well, I help. mean,
2: I, uh, yeah, that was probably too strong. Okay. A word. But I mean, what are you but, trying
0: to say there? Like he's like kind of just like. like well,
2: kind what of I'm trying to say is, it? I think Josh Okogie gets too much encouragement right now. Mm-hmm. I think that um, what I would like to see somebody do with Josh Okogie is reorder his priorities. You know, not that I know more about basketball than anybody else, but everybody's got a take, and here's mine, which is that Okogie is a great defensive player. He is a bad offensive player, and so when Okogie makes a great defensive play. He needs to regard his next thing to do is pretty much get ready for the next defensive play. He ought to get rid of the ball after he makes a steal or a great block. Instead, he invariably tries to make a layup down the court. you have seen a few
1: bad turnovers in those situations. About a
2: 32% accuracy, I think. I mean, I'm just pulling that out of my rear end. But uh, essentially, he's not uh, – he is uh, – out of control most of the time. His shot selection, you know, it's him and Wiggins for the worst shot selection on the team. Um, he's a bad shooter from almost every place on the court. The less he participates in the offense in terms of usage, which means, uh, you know, the, the pass for the assist or the 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 make of the shot, the rebound I guess is the third. Yeah. But anyway, okogi needs to to take uh, an approach of being somebody who is a fourth or fifth resort on on offense and take the wide-open look if it's late in the clock and everybody else is covered. Otherwise, or every now and then, he does do decently putting it on the deck in the half court. But in transition, make sure he has a clear path. Otherwise, it's problematical. Um And all this is being said with the idea he's a 20-year-old rookie. Maybe he'll grow in that area of the game. But the way he could be most effective right now is to save his energy, do what he does on defense, which is formidable. I mean, the guy is already, um, I say, a 70, 80 percentile defender in the NBA, which is when you're 20 years old and a wing uh, is really exciting. So to pull it all
0: back, though, you're saying Towns is in the locker room is is pumping him up a little bit he too can do much. Whatever he,
2: you know, yeah. we tell Josh, and Josh himself will say over and over again, they encourage me to shoot. You know, and Towns will say, yeah, I want Josh shooting. You know, if he's open, take that look. And you know, when Josh, you know, had that great game against Houston and Harden, that was all Towns could talk about. Um, you know, and look, it's far better. That Towns treats Okoge that way than the way Butler treated Towns. Yes, yes. I mean, you don't mind yeah. excessive love. Yes, yeah. But... It's good vibes. Um, when it comes to that aspect of it, you know, I-, I would say that I would like to see it dialed back on Okogie, um just so he can become a better player. That's the point. The point is to become a better player and a better team. But... Moving forward on the what you told me, asked me about in terms of uh, locker room dynamics, Towns has found a foil in the locker room, somebody who is legitimately friends with him, in at least in locker room parlance, um, and uh, it's Robert Covington. Oh, I mean, he and Rocco will, you know, what time is it? Check your phone, you know. I mean, they'll give each other shit like that. Yeah, you know um and it's it's the easygoing barbs that let you know i mean if somebody has the ability to uh work back and forth with somebody and towns will get that high voice he gets when he's really pleased by something <laughs> and 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 covington will uh covington knows that you know it's not a bad thing to have the best player on the team really want to be good friends yeah. with you and um covington also knows his role on the team and he's the second best player on the team So when I walk into the Wolves locker room and I see Rocco and Towns having at each other, I feel good. I feel better about this team.
1: I also think some of Towns' praise for Okogie is, we've talked about how Towns, it just seems this way because, you know, we're fans, that sometimes it sounds like he's subtweeting Wiggins. Like, we were talking about that. He had the, uh, on the broadcast the other night, he had r- with Rebecca and uh, Leah B. Olson, they were talking about rebounding, and Rebecca and Towns were talking about rebounding. Towns was like, yeah, you'll see all these athletic guys in the league who are so athletic and they don't get any boards at all. And it's just like, maybe he's not talking about Wiggins, but it's impossible not to read into it. And so maybe that's a way to, like, s- uh, dig out at- Wiggins Wiggins is to always be praising Okogie, Okogie for his energy. Like, Okoge's energy, do yeah. we see that? You He's talking about new. Wiggins, well, let's talk about Okogie's energy. You know, it's a, it's a way of subtly getting to dig in at Wiggins, perhaps. Yeah.
2: Well, something has to happen with Wiggins, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, that that remains...
0: Um. I mean, you've been here every year of Wiggins' career. I mean, you've you've we've watched it. You've been covering the team. You've been watching very closely every home game. I mean, you've seen it all.
1: You've seen every moment, yep. pretty much. So. I've seen oh, every I,
2: single game Wiggins has played.
1: I I agree with uh, you know something that you've been putting out there. I think for a month or so, which is, that at this point, what you need to do with Wiggins is in his minutes. You know, put him on the bench. You know, you're yeah. probably not going to have him come off the bench, which is something that would be interesting to see and really would send a message. But you know, him being the highest paid he's player always, on the he's, team, he's you know. always cakewalk. But he's he's 35 minutes. Well, it's just not that. It's that since Wiggins' rookie year, he's played the most minutes in the NBA. So right. it's, it's to an extreme where he's, he's guaranteed so many minutes. He doesn't even know a world where he plays 30 minutes and that's it.
2: He's now played for five coaches. Every single coach, including Ryan Saunders, has played in more minutes than anybody. Right. Wow. Uh, that, to me, is malpractice. Um, Wiggins has missed two games. Of the 17 that Ryan has coached, he still leads the team in minutes. Yeah. So when we're evaluating <laughs> <Total> Ryan <minutes. laughs> Saunders, that's near the demerits list. Uh, I think um, I have a column actually coming out tomorrow that gets into a little bit. It talks about Ryan in general. and um, But one of the things I want to see is Wiggins' accountability um, from somebody. I mean, Jesus, at some point in time um, – he is closing out his fifth season. He has been number one overall pick, leading minutes guy in the NBA, as you mentioned, universally given the kind of feedback that is accorded only the best players. And by almost every single metric you could mention, he is at best a mediocre player. Now, the one area where he's not mediocre is on-off. Uh, I will say that one of the things that has been a kind of a, an interesting thing that I'm going to get into, uh, my bias against Wiggins stops me from getting into it too much, but I have to plow through just for that reason, um, is that his, he is very, very – the Wolves play really well when he's on the court and not as well. When he's off the court. That's, and the sample that,
0: size is big at this point. It's,
2: it's very big. Yeah. Now, you can also argue, at least for the last four of those five years, almost all of those minutes are with Towns. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's one of the things I'm trying to break down. And this year especially, with Towns getting a lot better, um, there's a real correlation there. Wiggins is minus when he's not with Towns. Mm. You know, and so – and guys like Deng. Are really plus when they were towns. Hmm. Um, one of the things I'm beginning to notice is that um, if you're a smart player, you learn how to play with towns. And Wiggins has not done that yet. No, yeah. I mean, and that I mean, that's the kind of thing that um, um, my patience is gone. I was a, I was a Wiggins defender for three and a half seasons, and. Um, As I said, there hasn't been a coach that has said, okay, you know, this and this and this and this are what this guy doesn't do well, and he needs to do it.
1: Yeah, and like I was saying too, is limiting his minutes would be good because the one the one thing everyone gets on Wiggins is it doesn't look like he's trying as hard as when he's out there. And if you know you're going to play, like it's when we play pickup ball, Neil. We know we're going for two hours, so I'm jogging in game one, I'm jogging in game two, everyone's hustling, and then when it comes last game of the night, everyone's hurting. I'm going fine because I know we're playing for two hours, so I don't try that hard, you know. And that's kind of the idea is like if you know you're going to, if you know you're playing 38, yeah, 40 minutes, then you're not going to go as hard as if you know maybe you know you might only have a shot at 30 minutes then. You've got to maximize your time a little bit more. Yeah,
0: and I think I think what you're talking about about sort of recently, and and I've kind of noticed it recently too because I wasn't super high on the Wall dang playing uh, with this version of the Wolves, even the injured version of the right, Wolves. But right. you know him playing down at the three um, in the wing position kind of opened things up for me and kind of made me realize little bit more of like how much or how little Andrew Wiggins is bringing to the table here because you have basically Luol Deng who's about a replacement level kind of average, you know, starter or bench guy kind of level. And that is perfect around towns right now. We don't really miss it's only two games or whatever that he was sick. Like it's a pretty small sample, but we didn't really miss Wiggins that much in that situation. And it kind of opened up the idea for me of like to, as far as like what you need to build around towns, like, the guy the wing player can just be sort of like this this league average like can defend a little piece. bit complimentary doesn't need a lot of usage like just can be a, a spot up shooter like type of guy and Wiggins you know a lot of the things that he he you know doesn't do like you know they kind of get in the way, and the way he like you're saying like he doesn't he hasn't really acclimated his game to towns, and it might be a signal of him not being a super high basketball i q guy right. is that he doesn't really optimize his game to fit around towns and doesn't seem to be contributing to winning basketball on the same level as someone who's much lower skill level than him i mean there's no there's no question i mean players have come through the timberwolves franchise for years and said andrew wiggins is the most gifted god gifted talented guy on this team but he can't turn it into Helping winning basketball
1: necessarily. Well, I think some of that is I've noticed with these two games recently that Wiggins was out. That it works top down when he's gone. Like it's Towns gets the ball, and then everyone kind of knows their role. But like Wiggins, he's the highest paid player on the team. In his mind, he's a he's one a to cat. You know, he's not Robin Maybe. to cat. You yeah. know, it's Batman and Batman or Batman <laughs> and Superman or whatever you want to do with your analogies there. But I just think that that's why it doesn't flow as well because when Cat is on the floor with Wiggins, Wiggins has possessions where he takes the ball and he dominates the possession and. And, you know, dribbles it into the lane, does a couple pivots, and then you know does a fadeaway jumper, and it just kind of you know if you you take out the ten bad shots per game that Wiggins takes, then it's you get a game like against Houston where it's just like oh yeah we're pretty good when
2: you take out those bad shots that are coming from Wiggins all the time. I think both of what you guys have just been saying for the last five minutes is dead on. I, I think that one of the issues isn't so much that Wiggins in a vacuum is terrible; it's that what could be done in that vacuum that Wiggins absorbs could be better. Yep. And so it comes back to if you have smart players around towns um, who are not as talented and you bring somebody like Wiggins off the bench, put him in the Derrick Rose role if Rose is gone next year, hopefully. And so (laughs) – You know, then you have a situation where he may not like it, but um the point here isn't to please the guy you're already paying twenty seven million dollars. The point is he needs to be challenged to win games.
1: He needs to be challenged in some way. Yeah. And and but what's the roadmap to that? That's the problem. Is like well, I don't I think see. any I one of
2: those situations.
0: Even if you bring in a new GM and new coach, they're probably also going to be like, "Oh, Andrew Wiggins, look at this, look at this toy over see, here. That's I gotta the give wrong him a mindset. shot." That's yeah, I mean, mindset. I I hope that someone comes in here at the next job of someone who has already seen what Andrew Wiggins has done for five years and has a new idea for what Andrew Wiggins could be on the basketball. Well,
2: court. and this to me, I think right now he is, despite everything, the odds-on favor to retain the job. Yeah, I think that. That's this, Rhino, right? Rhino. This is, is, oh, yeah. this is job one yeah. for Ryan Saunders yeah. is knowing how to improve Wiggins or how to cut bait on Wiggins. But one or the other needs to happen. The fact that he's playing more minutes than anybody else on the team under Ryan, the fact that he has had more than double anybody else, 83 in 17 games, mid range shots. Um, I think the next person is 34. Mm-hmm. Um, when Ryan is talking about practices where, um, you know, it's, it, you lose a point to taking a mid-range. All right. Well, there's your guy that you're playing all these minutes to. He's the and culprit. He's, yeah. he's cranking mid-range. Um, it is time for the rubber to meet the road on all kinds of things. It's, it's time. Listen. And this will be all in a column I am writing. That it'll be out tomorrow. A preview by the time these people this will be out and will we'll, be about the same you, time. You will listen to this and For then you will don't immediately subscribe click to on the Athletic. It. Yeah, um, it's essentially my point is that um, it's a great thing that Ryan Saunders is not Tom Thibodeau, and it is a great thing that Ryan Saunders is the son of Flip Saunders. But those are two prisms that have given Ryan Saunders two steps up. And what I want to see now is let's remove the no tibs flip connected guy. Once you take care of those two things, what kind of coach is this guy? Mm. What does he do? And yes, it's not fair right now because his injuries have been wiped out, but life isn't fair. You've got 25 games, you know, you're going to be a 33-year-old head coach coaching Andrew Wiggins in his sixth season and Carl Anthony Towns in his fifth season, both making max money for a franchise that needs to take a step forward next season or risk having the inevitable buzz happening where you are going down rather than going up. It is an absolutely pivotal pivotal year next year and this team needs to figure it out. And if Ryan Saunders is your pick, If Fred Hoiberg is going to be a general manager and Ryan Saunders is going to be your coach, then all the country club memes are coming back and you better damn well win if you're going to go back to a formula that has not been successful.
1: Well, I just we can't... need some more visual country club memes. It's, it's a running <laughs> yeah. joke with what us all the, on Twitter, but we need like some golf? image or it's something. Like a golf yeah. thing? Or... Yeah, we'll come up with some. Yeah. Or let's get Steve McPherson on. He's, he's the best at creating those. Uh,
0: the problem is I just can't see. I mean, for Ryan, he's been heralded as this guy who's been on the team every year with Wiggins, player development. Exactly. Come up with Wiggins the whole way. So... I don't see a scenario where Andrew, or excuse me, where Ryan, um, you know, cuts his cuts. He's going to be the guy minutes. who does the tough love for right. him because they're more uh, like buddies. It's too. He's too close. He's been around too long. I just. Can't but his really job see might it. ultimately. So
1: that's be the question. How
2: good that? of a coach is he? Well, because speaking a good of Ryan, coach yeah, gets Wiggins better, yeah. or reduces Wiggins' role. You can't have. The status quo. Well,
0: and he's not getting better. I mean, I don't know. It would have to take a lot. Maybe in this next 25 games he takes a big step. But I don't see the scenario where it's like, oh, yeah, Ryan did it. He found out how to work in Andrew Wiggins and become a quality piece around town. Okay. Now,
2: one of the reasons, I'm sure one of the reasons Gorgie Jang got benched the other night was because Houston runs a lot of space and pace. And Gorgie targeting. was getting yeah. torched. Yeah, But Gorgie committed a travel also.
1: The, the, the Gorgie Jane of the travel. Yeah. And, 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 the travel that he always gets. And
2: he was gone for the rest of the game. Yeah. Okay. Andrew Wiggins takes two unwise mid range shots. And I say he sits. Yeah. What's wrong with that?
0: Yeah. And I think uh, it's
2: not rocket science. I think and maybe to,
1: when you have everyone healthy, you can do that because then you're pulling them for Okogi well, instead yeah. of I mean, pulling them for uh, yeah. you know.
2: Or it could be Deng. It could be. I mean, the great yeah, thing Deng's about the wolves, the wolves have an uncommon plethora of wings right now. They yeah, do. it's yeah. true. Yeah, we I mean, you know, to When totally healthy. Probably the do. greatest. Group of wings this franchise has ever had,
0: and I think amongst Wolves fans, especially the set and maybe listen to this podcast, they would be actually that would add points to Ryan's side of like, oh, exactly. you're the guy who benched Wiggins, okay. or you're the all guy, right, you're the guy
2: right. who brought Wiggins off the well, bench after benching. And, and it's this is necessarily
0: so that that's definitely the right idea, but at least it's a different idea from what we've seen every well, other coach do. I mean, what,
2: what is wrong with that idea? That's what I no, want to know. Now, the, some would argue that um, he is the. He is one of your five best players, no question. And I would say in a vacuum, yes. He is one of your two most talented players. And I would argue, as I did for three and a half years, that he has a phenomenal ceiling if engaged. But um, the numbers are what they are. And if the eye test will also tell you that – He takes plays off, Mm. and, and, lol, ding, you could just be standing there while somebody 11 feet away from you is dribbling a basketball, and what that means is the guy ostensibly guarding you is also kind of guarding that guy dribbling the ball, or you can make a cut that means nothing other than you get rid of the man who's on you away from that guy dribbling the ball. That doesn't happen with Wiggins very often at all. You see it's Dario and Dane things, making
1: all these great smart cuts, and Wiggins yeah, doesn't do I that. Yeah,
2: I mean, even if, but what I mean is, even cuts that don't even you're not even supposed to get the ball. All you're doing is you're like a, a star wide receiver taking a man away so somebody can throw a screen pass on the flat. Um, you're you're clearing the field. What, did you play quarterback Wiggins, or something over here? <laughs> or what's going Wiggins on? Wiggins does not clear the field. Um, On offense or defense, he does not uh, make the kind of play that is an anticipatory play. One of the things that always has driven me crazy about Wiggins is that because he has such phenomenal athleticism, he's been allowed to be a reactive player for most of his life, except that even his fabulous reactions amount to mediocrity in the NBA. Wow. Well...
1: I guess there's two different ways I can go with this. One of the things is an article I wanted to talk about. Uh, I've sent it to you, Neil. The Athletic, I forget who write it, man. I should really not remember this. It wasn't one of our guys. It was a Knicks article about Fortnite and the Knicks and David mm. Fisdale and his young, his all of his young players who play Fortnite a whole lot, uh-huh. and talking about how they stay up late and some of the problems that might cause. And it gets into a little bit not just sleep, uh, not just Fortnite, but also the effect of a blue screen. You know, it sure. affects your sleep. You get less sleep. And like everybody from my generation, we all are on our screens until sleep. You know, I, people tell right you Bed, you should yeah. quit you know before bed but then what am I gonna do you know it's like so I'm, I'm always on the screens until I go to bed and it kind of affects my sleep and I just think about Wiggins sometimes because we know he's a big video gamer and I mean this this extends to cat too it doesn't seem to affect Most him. The league, yeah and I just wonder you know what it is with the sleep because the thing I come back to is about a year ago or so I had some really bad sleep habits and it was affecting my day-to-day life where I was staying up every night I was drinking every night I was smoking every night and I was going to bed like 3 a.m. every night getting up to work at like 8 or 9 and it I I was talented enough to still kind of get the job done at work, but you weren't getting the best version of me. You were getting like the 75, the 70% version of me that is is just doing enough to get by, coasting on the talent a little bit and like not, you know, taking care of myself to get 100% out of me. And I made some changes in my life, you know, so now I feel like I'm getting like 80% out of myself every day, but I'm still not at the point where I'm actualizing and getting the most out of myself every day because I still have some bad sleep habits. And I just wonder if this is something with Wiggins where it's just like, is he... He, you know, playing Call of Duty too late at night is it's is one of those things where he has enough talent to make it work, you know, but is it something that is preventing him where we're like, why isn't he trying hard enough? Well maybe he's only at seventy percent every single day because of you know his bad personal habits.
0: Right. And most people chalk it up to oh, he's just passive and it's just his personality, but what you're saying is there could be other things in his life that are. Well, I haven't heard
2: this recently, but two or three years ago I did hear that he I mean caveat is, this is total hearsay. I have no direct knowledge of this whatsoever. But more than one person who thought they knew when they told me uh, said that Wiggins was addicted to video games. Yeah. and, And that it was being looked into, that it was an issue. Now, I don't write that because I don't have enough confidence to write it. I say that with all these caveats. But the only reason I say it is because you mentioned it. There is a possibility that that is true.
1: And at which point it's like, when does the rubber meet the road? When do you have the kind of wake up moment? And for me, it was at work last year when someone was just like, why are you not getting to work on time every day, you know? And it's just like, I'm showing up five minutes late, 10 minutes late, 15 minutes late every day. And it's just like, oh yeah, it's because I'm sabotaging myself and I needed to have a wake up call like right. that, you know? Sometimes you need that. And what we're saying here is he might not be getting that. And we've kind of seen that through his
0: career, he's always kind of been handed stuff and number one pick and... So talented and so it's maybe a
1: little bit of that. Would you, know,
2: you would you have noticed it if somebody quintupled your salary right around that time?
1: <laughs> That's just it. I, I would take that as reinforcement that I would You're take fine. I would take it as a reinforcement that whatever the work I'm putting in is clearly enough, so I'm not I shouldn't be worried about it. So yeah, that would also affect me greatly. But it also made me think when I was thinking about this today, I was like, man, it also just kind of underscores how good Jordan was that he would never get a good night's sleep and know can that he was blame. still good enough to yeah. show up, you know, and get it done. I guess some players know their limits like some that. You guys can do it. I don't yeah. know. Once again, this is me like, I'm with you. I was the biggest Wiggins defender for the first three and a half years. And this has kind of been a wake up call over the last two years of being like, oh, I'm starting to see him now and a little bit more realistic expectations, but I'm still projecting myself onto him, being like, well, I've had this issue. So maybe that's what Andrew was going through det- and attempt to understand. Him. so i'm still trying to give him all the slack i can of understanding and empathy but it could just be me projecting myself onto it but it's something i wonder with it. and
2: i was i was a negative wiggins guy i i think it was after the butler trade where all of a sudden you know the idea was opens up all kinds of opportunities you know there's yeah. a high usage guy clearly cutting into his time not only his time but his role um ability to be a great you know, number two guy to this guy, towns and uh, and it just wasn't happening, and so I I do think that you know there there comes a point where, and then I, the final straw for me, quite frankly, people who read me all the time will notice that when Wiggins went for forty and ten on Ryan's first game yeah. and said, you know, I really to, you know. He knows me longer than anybody on this team and so on and so forth. He said what he had to say in one game, and then it was back to status quo. And that's when I realized this guy can do it if he wants to do it, but he doesn't want to do it. Yeah. It's all about the consistency. I kind of think it
1: could also be the flip side was I was just saying that. Was that like – I want to do good work every day, but I'm showing up in a, in a form. I'm showing up in, you know, a kind of tired, not fully slept version of myself that even if I try my hardest, I'm still hitting my ceiling at 70. So it's one thing to want it, and maybe he does want it, but he's into these bad habits that are stopping him from reaching that. You know, like I wanted to perform at 100% at work every day, but I wasn't getting there because of that the sleep deprivation I was putting myself into. And so it could be a thing where he wants it and he's trying, but like he's just not doing the preparation that he needs in terms of rest and preparation and nutrition you know So to,
2: another and you are endorsing the idea that somebody has to do the equivalent to Wiggins of what your coworker did to you and say yeah. hey how come you're not showing up on time right. all the time yep. I somebody think needs to go to the conversation.
1: we said it on the podcast he said he had this quote right before the all-star game like oh yeah I'm, I'm going to make it a goal to make the all-star game I wish the follow-up question is what are you going to do differently because yeah. right now what you're doing isn't making the all-star game so what are What's you going to do yeah. and change to make the all-star game because right now you're not even close well
2: remember that was actually the meme what his second year third year where he didn't make the all-star game and it was like uh, he was angry that thing. you know I'm going to do it next year or yeah. so on and so forth and just keeps doing and the same thing and then there's a KG thing I was angry I'm angry at you for you know not doing this one year yeah. and he said next I'm year I'm mad at you yeah you know and so we'll see he's I mean, that wake up call the, the, the comparison between Towns and Wiggins since Ryan took over in terms of numbers is just astounding yeah uh, there isn't a category where Towns doesn't just totally school Wiggins no assists rebounds you know everything And so one guy is going forth and one guy isn't. And the guy who isn't, you know, you don't win championships with a max underachiever. Yeah. I mean, point point me to the team that has won a championship with a max underachiever. And I will give you three rookies who are playing out of their minds or something like that. It's very, very hard.
0: Well, let's um, we got a little bit more time here, but let's wrap up by talking about kind of looking forward for the rest of this season like and and sort of
1: talk a little bit about where things can go from here. I have a question about yeah. looking forward to this season. We missed it last year. Are we going to get another one-on-one with a coach? You, yeah. You, you did no. great with uh, – oh, no, we don't I mean, get you that did, time yeah, with you Ryan. Did, you did oh. mid-season before, right, oh. you with Tibbs Well, he did Tibbs one time, Paddleman, you know, and then and Tibbs yeah. year two, You wouldn't do it anymore. Yeah, but. And,
2: and, yeah, it's it's kind of fascinating. I mean, Flip was great with it, uh, but Flip and I went way back. I thought uh, the Sam
1: Mitchell one might have been the most interesting one uh, you had. Sam
2: Mitchell <laughs> is something to prove. That was really great. Uh, that was one of those ones where – Mitchell and the press were going to war, and we had a friend in common. Okay. A guy who used to write for uh, Twin Cities Reader, uh, who had Sam as his best man at oh, his wow. wedding. Uh. I mean, they're really tight, and he's, he's friends with me. And he went to Sam and said, you know, this guy will cut you a – you know, he will let you talk if you will talk. Yeah. And so we sat down, and Sam was tired of people saying he didn't know anything about basketball – and wanted to let everybody know everything he knew about basketball. Oh, yeah. And so it was great. I mean, it couldn't have been better for me. Yeah. And so, you know, that was luck. Um, the Tibbs thing was fine. I mean, you know.
1: I was surprised t- you got the first interview with Tibbs because <laughs> Tibbs has always been notoriously testy with yeah, the press. Yeah,
2: and, and I think, you know, one of the great things is uh, after a while, longevity does matter. You know, the fact I've been covering this team longer than anybody and have Done my own thing, you know. I'm not a, I'm a beat guy, but I'm not a guy who has to
1: write a game Let you
2: know, yeah. I mean, I'm not. John and I are perfect. I mean, John I is agree. is so good at what he does, and the things he are is a natural at are the things I abhor. Mm-hmm. You know, I do not want to. um In the fourth quarter, we were up this points, so and then we went yeah, down that. But point, I mean, so yeah. even more than that, it's like you know, you go and it's after practice, and you you interview four or five guys. Uh, and then everybody goes back in and says, all right, I'll take this guy, you take this guy, and they break down the transcriptions, and everybody joins together. Mm. I'm out the door. I mean, yeah. because I pretty much know of those four interviews what I may or may not want to use. I know I'm not going to use almost all of it. Uh, so I don't want to waste my time transcribing. And to their credit, nobody you know among the media guys – you know, says, hey, you know, you were there. Why don't you chip in and transcribe? They know that, you know, It's I'm taking my prerogative of just leaving and not benefiting from their transcription. But John is one of those guys who's in that crew and in my humble opinion is the best at that crew. Um, he, when he came to me with this idea of, um, hey, I'm going to go to the athletic, I think, but, you know, I really need somebody a partner in this, and you know, I'm not sure I'll go if you don't go. And it just sounded perfect to me, um, and it has been a really good relationship because he's really good on human interest. He's really good on uh, concise overviews and analysis. Great gamers that go a little deeper than the typical gamer. Um, and in the
0: relationships to break news and to have sources and that kind of stuff. Exactly. You have talked about that before exactly. as like a piece that you and don't. You're not interested in that. That's a very yeah. good
2: point. He was on top of Butler. I mean,
0: it's very clear he has very many sources within the exactly, team and is, exactly. is about relationships.
2: And that's, that's a lot of thi- You know, that's a lot of work. Yeah. That's that's listening to a lot of agendas that I frankly don't have time for. <laughs> you know, I mean, it just yeah. that kind of stuff. I'm too old for that stuff. And so. Um, Yeah, it works great, but... I don't know where we were going with that. but
0: Yeah, um, well, I, I guess I just wanted to ask sort of like what you think. What are, what are you going to be looking for here in the last 25 games and sort of like what can fans look for and what are some of the, you know, obviously, again, with, a... the playo- sorry, off, right. with the playoffs, especially with the playoffs sort of like being seen as a, a very long shot. Like right. a lot of people are tuning out at this point. Well, if they're not going to be the playoffs, well, who cares? But I, I disagree. I think there's so much to care about here and there is so much important information to be gained here, especially as they get players back from injury. So what are you looking
2: for? Go ahead. I agree totally, first of all, with that uh, concise synopsis. Um, I think that number one thing I'm looking at is accountability for Wiggins or something, lack of status quo on Wiggins. Uh, It's the biggest X factor in whether the Wolves can get better next year as is uh, without additions or key subtractions. Um, I'm also looking at point guard minutes. I'm looking at uh, Jeff Teague came back and, and played really well. Very uh, kind of different than Jeff Teague and, and went out of his way to say Towns is one of my favorite players. Hmm. Um, I don't think there's any doubt he'll be back next year. Ooh, interesting. Uh, and part of that is because he's making 19 yeah. million he won't get anywhere else. Financially, it's the best job. Well, unless somebody he plays out say, of his
1: mind for the next 25 games. You I mean, somebody
2: would say, you know, if he gets three for 36, would he do that? Well, uh, you know, that's John's argument. Maybe somebody will do that. Um, I think he's been hurt too much, and his track record isn't good enough with the Wolves to, to expect three for 36. Um, so, But even so, I think he'll take the 19 and take his chances. But what's important is, um, will a team try to Brooklyn Nets tie us? You know, will they try to, you know, offer an outlandish fee? and and allow the Wolves to either match at their peril or let him go, you know, the way it happened with Crab and some of these other guys. I think at this
1: point, I think I was talking, my joke all last season was that Thibodeau, kind of his uh, reluctance to play Tyus was a secret move from the organization to keep his value low for restricted free agency. And then this year, you know, Tyus has been injured for significant portions. He had a slow start to the season. So I think at this point, the only people who are really, uh, you know, champions of Tyus Jones are, are the dedicated Wolves fans who know that in the chances and the opportunities he's had, few and far between, he's really seized the reins and there's something special there. I'm not sure... How many teams in the league, especially because I don't know if you're going to pay them to be your starting point guard. And so, I my my thing is there are so many good point guards in the league. Every team already has one, you know, and you know but, which one
2: are, which ones are going to break the bank for a second. But analytically, there are some areas where the guy is off the charts. I mean, and and there are a lot of teams that do a lot of their work through analytics. Um, I don't expect ties to make ten million a year, uh, but I can see four for twenty-eight from somebody, and that's an interesting. That's yeah. that to yeah. me. That's a pressure point. Four for twenty-eight is uh, if I'm Tyus Jones, I don't turn that down. That's yeah. for sure. Um, Especially and, when
1: the Wolves can just draft your little but- brother Trey. You know, <laughs> get well, the cheap version. You know,
2: I, and I, I think four for twenty-eight. Quite frankly, may be a little optimistic. I think that's the top of his window, but I also think that. Um, well, the the answer to the question was, what am I looking for? I'm looking for how Ryan uses Tyus. If Ryan, appropriately in my eyes, thinks that Tyus is worth a gamble, Tyus is worth um, eight to 12, seeing, let's, yeah, well, yeah. let's find out how well he works. I mean, my dream lineup for the final 25 games is Towns, Sharich, Rocco, Tyus, and, you know, your pick of, you know, Wiggins, Okogi or Ding. Hmm. Um, and I, I would love to see how that works for a while uh, on an extended basis. We haven't seen that. Um, we saw a lot of it when Rocco was splitting duty between the first and second unit. But at the best net rating among two-player combinations on the Wolves is Rocco and Tyus. And there's a reason for that. They both prioritize defense. They both play really good team defense. Uh, they are smart about jumping lanes, but they're not stupid about jumping lanes so that they are um, preventing ball movement without exposing themselves in transition too much. Um, you know, I, I just think that... Uh, Anyway, the way Tyus is used, if we go back to 36 minutes or 34 minutes or even 29 minutes of Jeff Teague and Tyus getting uh, second unit scraps, then I think Ryan is punting the opportunity to show what his identity as a coach is because I know for a flat-out fact that he thinks Tyus Jones is the goods. Mm -hmm. And so if he thinks that and he wants to be the coach – hey, you know, you the brass ring is right there. If you don't start grabbing the brass ring now, then what good are you when you do get it, you know? I mean...
1: Unless he's such a big Tyus fan, by playing him no minutes, he's guaranteeing Tyus
2: <laughs> going is going back, back next
0: year. Going
1: back to the, yeah. Got to drive back, down
2: that restricted free agency price. Uh, well, <laughs> at cost of his own coaching. Sure. It'd be an interesting <laughs> move. Now, you know, it may be. Anyway, point guard minutes is... Uh, accountability for Wiggins, point guard minutes... Um, And space and pace with Towns. Uh, Another Analytically, another fabulous two-player combinations are Tolliver and Towns and Deng and Towns. I don't want necessarily a Towns-Tolliver-Deng lineup, uh, even though I really like Deng at the three so far this year. And even though I am one of the lone champions of Tolliver in terms of figuring he got screwed this year. But um, I do think that we need more space and pace. I do think we need more Towns inverted pick and rolls where Towns is high post and uh, fakes a pick and roll and steps back for three or delivers the pick and roll, uh, takes a cutter in charge, and maybe it's a drive and kick situation. I foresee a lot of instances where Towns can be a facilitator and a shooter in, on the perimeter. And um, I would love to see that develop because I think Tibbs, one of the few things that Tibbs really did well is he ingrained in Towns how to be a low post force as a passer as well as a shooter. And I and other people ripped him for it because he wasn't getting enough shots and he was drawing double and triple teams, but Tibbs grounded into him that you make the extra pass, and Towns is good at that now. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a credit to Tibbs. But I'm looking for seeing – we know Towns can do that. I want to see what else Towns can do. I want to see Towns moving around in space and pace lineups with a really active four now that Sarge is in the starting lineup. Great. But also Tolliver and Deng as his front court partner. I'd love to see more of that.
0: Love it. Well, yeah, just uh, twenty five more games. The Timberwolves basketball. Maybe more.
1: Maybe more. <laughs> Probably not. A few more maybe, maybe.
0: Maybe. So yeah, lots of things to look for. Uh, don't don't give up just because there's no playoffs. There's plenty of important information in Timberwolves basketball to be seen. Plus, just the love of the game. The Timber the game. The, the NBA is back tonight. You know, it's been a week off. Don't take the NBA for granted. It's not always going to be here. Take time off. Uh, we want to thank uh, Britt Robson for joining us in studio. You can read him at theathletic.com um, over My there. My podcast app just
1: feels emptier without yeah. the Br- <laughs> Britt Brower podcast. Uh, yeah, maybe someday he'll come back, but yeah. Uh, David know.
2: David's pretty firm on that. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't like to watch basketball and, and you know, <laughs> I mean, part of it, uh, David and I are best friends yeah. and... uh argue all the time and so i really actually thought our podcast would be arguing i think i've said this before yeah but essentially he chose for whatever reason i still to this day do not know why to be my setup guy (laughs) and i was actually (laughs) shocked from the first podcast i you know i went in you know there's like a dozen things we can argue about here and he's saying well what do you think of you know
1: Yeah, yeah well we need to refresh it then with a new name Brit versus Brown. Yeah, there you
0: go. You can follow Brit on Twitter at Britt Robson. Is that, is that correct? Is that right? At Brit yep. Robson,
1: probably. Yes. Follow it's the best him there. way to keep track of you know his writing for different outlets. Is yeah. he'll post a link on there yeah. every time there's a good one. Follow him over and there. Uh, you know definitely check out the Athletic. It's definitely worth the price of subscription. I think just the Timberwolves coverage alone is worth the price of subscription. Yeah. And then there's all these extra benefits of all these other amazing writers when they toss out an article and you're like, oh, I'd like to read that. Oh, I can because I'm subscribed. So but
0: yeah, good stuff. Uh, uh, follow him over there. Uh, t- the Wolves cast taking a break, taking a week off, so no show next Neil's week. Neil's going us. to Disney World, going to Disney, but we'll be back following week with another show. Thanks you guys for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. Goodbye.
2: But if but the Sixers, man, shout out to the Sixers for finally retired his jersey. That's what's up, man. Doc did a fantastic job. That's what's up, man. That's what's up, man. Good, good to know, man. Had a Timberwolves retired your jersey? Nah, man.
0: Why? I have no idea. Hey, whoever owns the Timberwolves,
2: <laughs> I take your name Glenn Taylor. Chill. What you waiting on? Retire this man's All On to bigger and better thing. No, no, no. If jersey will be retired, it's all good. We ain't we, we bitching and we ain't complaining. No, no, no. We you, good on it. Dude, you should ask to have a statue. Man, listen. We've been there, done that one. You got a statue in Minnesota? No. Hey, do it look like I got a statue somewhere? Got a statue yes. in my hey, crib? Sure <laughs> Glenn Taylor. <laughs> Retire this man number. Man. He's been He's been white noise. You know, I can't believe they ain't retired to a jersey. Man, that's white noise, man. How long you been retired? About three years, four years now. All right, they better get it up
1: soon. <laughs>